We got that audio. Live from New York City. Live from Conversations with Humans. Featuring Kensington Charles. <laughs> That's my uh, Bob Menry voice. So we're rolling. All right. So what's up, everybody? It's Mike Truman, and we're sitting here with Kensington and we're just going to have a casual conversation. Look, I feel like I got to clear the space really quickly. <laughs> We've been on this a happen, hiatus happens a little on bit. every episode at this yeah, point. Every, every few months. Look, we're in it for the long term, not the short term. But I feel like today's episode is like the pinnacle of why we started this podcast. To oh, have like uh, good no conversations. No and I feel like, <laughs> I mean, in a sense, you are a communication expert. But just mm. with other races. Yeah, I guess you're lang- lang- <laughs> Languages. Languages. Yeah, you put me on a pedestal, that's for sure. Well, how many languages do you speak? First question. Four, if you include English as my native language. So okay. I speak Korean, Japanese, and Spanish. Korean is my best by far. Uh, definitely leaps and bounds beyond the other two, but I'm yeah. conversational in all of them. Yeah. So, conversations with humans. But really, luckily, you don't got to use the other languages today. It's true. Unless we want to put you on the spot. Well, I want to learn a lot about the uh, languages. For like sure. How, like how to learn them. And yeah, like that. Like I've taken years of Spanish in high school, but it doesn't, I forget it all. And like, so that's kind of obviously not the route to go about mm-hmm. learning a language. Like what, what clicks for you when you're like learning a language like that? Like... I would outside. say, yeah, yeah, I would say, because I actually did the same thing. I took three years, two or three years of Spanish. I don't even remember how many. That's how impactful it was, right? Um, but the number one thing is you got to find ways that you're excited to learn. Mm. And the way you do that. You have to want to. Exactly. <laughs> like, if you're like, oh, I'm learning this because, like, my boss told me to. Or I'm yeah. learning this because I feel guilty or that school. I only know one language. Or I'm learning this because yeah. of school. If it's all negative emotion that's driving you, you know, you'll get some done. We can all slog through difficult stuff sometimes. But the love, the passion that you need to like, I mean, you guys know with video, with doing the podcast, with making music, all that stuff, passion is like super huge, right? Yeah. Yeah. So for me and at least the like the studies and the literature and all that stuff supports this as well. If you can make a language socially gratifying, then you will learn it. Mm-hmm. So put yourself in situations where you're surrounded by it, right? You want to make friends. You don't want to be cut off. You don't want to be alone. That's why when people move to countries, which is what I've done a few times, they learn so much faster than if they're studying in the States yeah. or studying at home. <clears throat> you kind of have like a learn, like I have to learn this language or I'm not going to survive. Like, oh, yeah. mentality kick in when you're learning in a, when you're living in another country. Yeah. Like, even when we all went to Korea and Japan, like, I felt so helpless that I didn't know the language. Like, it was like, oh, man, like, ah, what was that one word? Like, it was like, I was, like, a lot, it was coming back to me and, like, I was learning a lot more effectively uh, from what you were teaching us because it was like, I had to know this in order to survive. Yeah. Where it's oh, like, yeah. in school, it's like, you you learn these phrases and then you go home and you're speaking English the whole time. It's like you're not using it. You don't need it, you know. Yeah, you know, you, you're sitting in class and you just say, Donde esta la biblioteca every day. And you're like, well, when, in the, when am I going to go on the street and ask, 
like some Mexican homie or some Peruvian guy, hey, bro, where's the library? Yeah. Well, why do I need to know where the library is? We don't even use libraries that much these days. Yeah. True. And yeah. when you're in a foreign country, like, it's true. am I going to go to a library in a foreign country and go try and read, like, some book on physics? I'm not going to do that. And, and also, like, yeah, if, even, even in, like... Uh, like the U.S. and speaking English, if I want to figure out where the library is, I'm just gonna go on my phone and like you don't you all, you still don't need to use English to find the library, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Really interesting. Something that I'm like really fascinated about that we've like kind of talked about before in like individual conversations is like uh, your mindset with learning languages and with speaking languages because like when I, when you first go about learning a new language, it's like memorization and you're like translating in your head from English to Spanish before you say it. But like, what's it like for you as someone who speaks multiple languages, what kind of mindset do you have when you approach a conversation in a different language? That's a good question. It depends on how familiar I am with the language, right? Let's, let's say Korean, for example. So with Korean, um, my number one goal is to be able to speak with good flow because mm-hmm. I don't live there and I don't speak it. I mean, the other day I was filmed speaking Korean for this YouTube video and it was my first time doing it on camera and also the first time that I had spoken any meaningful Korean in like probably like two years. Mm-hmm. So my biggest thing was I just don't want to sound stupid. Yeah. And so that would mean that I wasn't going to try and say anything fancy. I was just going to live in the moment, respond to what they were saying. So the easiest way to do that is if they use like a certain phrase or word or saying something in some certain way, I'll just use what they're already saying and kind of build off what the native speaker is doing. Mm. Makes it way easier to kind of get into a groove. And then once I'm in a groove, then I'll start saying fun stuff. I'll make jokes and I'll play games. Oh, we got a dog. Oh, Millie is interrupting. We got a dog. Get down. Come on. On, What's dog in Korean? Here, I'm gonna get her a treat real quick. Uh, it's gay. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> that's actually a funny one too because so gay. if you if you attach the word gay dog in Korean to pretty much anything, it's an intensifier. So you could say something is like gay tasty, or that girl is gay beautiful, uh. or anything you want to say is like super or extra or whatever. Super. Okay, and so, it's kind of rude also. Oh, yeah. I kind of want to add some context to this conversation with, like, uh, our relationships as, like, the three of us specifically. Oh, yeah. yeah because you guys know each other pretty well. Yeah, Ken's <laughs> and I, we, we go way back. Um, so we're cousins. And uh, Ken's, it's, like, so crazy. Like, some, some of my earliest memories with you it, are, like, you teaching me the basics of Spanish in your mom's minivan while we're driving to something when I was like, I don't know, you must have been in middle school or high school taking a Spanish class. And I remember like you give me a ton of notes and like, I remember taking a ton of notes and like trying to study that. But then growing up when I was younger, well, before, when I was younger, before I was born, my dad (laughs) served a LDS mission in Korea. And so growing up, I grew up with so many stories about Korea and about like his mission and traveling and all that stuff. And then when you got called to your mission, you went to Korea. My dad's sister went to Korea. So it was like everything was pointing to Korea for me personally. Like I always like wanted to go and learn more about the Korean culture and like uh, visit Korea. And then in 2018 or was it 2019? 
I think 2019. 2019. Yeah. yeah, 19. Spring 2019, we all did this trip out to... Uh, Japan first for like two days. Yeah. Then we went to Korea because Japan to Korea is just like a quick flight. And then we were in Korea for a f- few days. I don't remember mm-hmm. how many days. Then we came back to Japan and then wrapped it up in Tokyo. And that trip was like an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, especially going with you, you're so native the way that you speak. Like, so the whole time you were teaching us phrases to practice, like, and so it made it easy. Like, I feel like by the end of that trip, even though it was, like, two weeks, I was like, I'm picking this up. Like, yeah. I'm mm-hmm. kind of understanding the fundamentals of, like, having a conversation in Korean. And it was just, like, all based off of learning sentences and phrases. Or, like, oh, yeah. pre-planned conversations yeah. where we're like, what, what are they going to respond to this? Or, like, how can we set up a conversation so that we can, like, practice a dialogue? Yeah. Like, it's not just like, how do you say chicken? But it's mm-hmm. like, how do I say, how do I say, I like your shoes? You know? Oh, like, yeah. I remember that one. Because like, when you compliment someone, it's a way to approach them cold. It's a cold approach. Yeah. And I don't want to just approach someone and be like, I'm an American. <laughs> you know? I want to. And especially like, if it's like a genuine compliment. That was like the best part about mm-hmm. it was like walking around and I see some other a 21 year old kid who's wearing off-white shoes and i got my off-whites and i can say yo i like your shoes i can't remember how you say that in korean but like we take a photo it's like a quick little interaction he's hyped you know because he doesn't see a kid like me every day and i'm hyped because i don't see a kid like him every day mm-hmm. like it's like a that's like a win-win like the social side of traveling oh. meeting people is like so amazing like Anyway, I'm rambling, but I loved what? when we, I think it was before or after uh, we hiked Bukhansan and we, we had that like interaction with those like uh, grade school girls. Oh. Like when we were leaving that like store to like get those like oh, triangle yeah. things. And that was like that <laughs> moment, it, it felt like for, for just like a few moments that I, I knew Korean at least a little bit. Like we were able to like interact with them enough that it made them laugh. And like we were like, it, it was kind of like we were like, like, we it's like in english it's like it's one thing to know like the words but then it's also one thing to know like oh how to be like uh like what are puns or like how like you know like interactions of like things that are almost subconscious of like uh that go a level deeper you know and i felt like that interaction was like i we not only understood what we were saying but we were like using uh like a uh unconscious uh, language too, or like body language, or like it was oh, more yeah. like, oh, like we're we know what we're talking about here, and we're like laughing and stuff. Like it felt like a genuine human interaction, not just like reading off of a thing, like uh, saying thank you and then, like mm-hmm. whatever, you know. Yeah, and that one, we had so much fun. I mean, remember when we were in? Uh, I think it was Hongdae. Yeah, it was Hongdae when you were rapping, and uh-huh. like. You knew, like, maybe 10 Korean words, right? Yeah. And you just yell whatever Korean word that you remembered in the moment, and then you'd kind of freestyle off of that. Yeah, yeah. And we had a crowd of, it might have been 50 people. <laughs> yeah. We, just, like, there was a significant crowd. Yeah. And think about it, You did that with 10 Korean words, and you probably said three of them right. Yeah. <laughs> but you had 50 people yeah. that were just stoked to see you. Like, because you're there. You're appreciating their culture. Like, Hongdae is, yeah. like, kind of a modern, like young people culture area there's street performers it's a really cool place to visit if you're mm-hmm. going to visit seoul 
and like you're there appreciating a piece of their culture. Yeah. You're trying to learn a little bit of their language. You don't speak it like a native. You never will. Like uh, it takes a really long time to ever get to that point. You pretty yeah. much have to abandon your native language to yeah. get there. Yeah. Wow. But you came in, you showed them that you appreciate them and they showed you appreciation back. And that's yeah. one of the coolest things about language is like every place that I've gone, which admittedly is only like three, Guatemala, Japan, and Korea. But every place I've gone, people, as soon as they see that you're serious about trying to understand them, yeah. dude, they will give mm. you so much leeway. They will give you so much room. They will show you so much love because you're showing them love by appreciating their culture. And that's yeah. one of the cool things about learning languages is like you can connect literally with three words yeah. with these people yeah. whose lives are so different from, from yours, you know, oh, like yeah. insanely different. Like they even shower at a different time of the day. Like every detail of their life is going to be a new and different version of what you're used to, but with the smallest little thing, you can connect. It's really cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's humbling to be in that environment of like, you're almost like so lost. Like I could be right around the corner from our Airbnb and have no idea where we are. Like that's how like unfamiliar and like looking at the signs, like, can't, I can't read any of these signs. Like, I can't even imagine like going there without someone that speaks the language. I know. Like, that's how my first trip to Japan was, and it was insane. Do you guys? Do you guys know the story of like how that went down? Uh, uh-uh, let's hear it. Okay, I'll give you the the short version with all the fun stuff. So I studied Korean as my major in college, and I ran out of Korean classes. And so I was like, well, I still want to get that like dopamine hit, that sense of satisfaction from learning languages, but I'm out of Korean classes. So Japanese is the next closest thing. And so I started taking Japanese classes. Took a few of those, but I was like, I'm not going to actually learn very well unless I go mm. meet real people. Because I knew that that was how you did it because that's how I learned Korean. Yeah. So I bought a plane ticket to Japan. Without a visa, you can only be there 90 days uh, or... Like, I don't know what the punishment is, but it's, that's like the limit of how long you jail. can be there. <laughs> jail or something. Going to jail tonight. I mean, apparently they do all kinds of crazy things to foreigners if you break their laws. Mm. So, I feel like that's something that I was just kind of being ignorant to going out there. Like, you don't realize, I mean, especially Korea, we're right next to North Korea. Like, Bukhansan, what? Uh, isn't doesn't Bukhansan mean like Mount North Korea? Yeah, yeah. Because you can see North Korea from the top, or I don't know. I, I don't know remember. how I got the name, but it doesn't mean Mount North Korea. But like we weren't even thinking about that, or like mm-hmm. even like the like the historical context. You were educating us like a little bit about like the relationships specifically between the Japanese and the Koreans. Oh yeah, there's a lot there. Because that's yeah, that's a whole thing to unpack. But, like, us is just, like, you know, these, like, white boys that, you know, prior to going to Korea, we were, like, driving around in Audi R8 and a Lambo in Vegas with one of our clients flying in a helicopter. And, like, that's the mindset that that I'm coming from going into Japan and Korea. Meanwhile, like, you know, there's there's a lot of, a lot more depth, like, than what's just on the surface. Especially Japan, too. I feel like Tokyo, you could get away with not speaking the language, mm-hmm. but I feel like once we got into Korea was when it was like, we, we were really out of the blue. Like in Tokyo, it was a little more normal to see some tourists, but in Korea, there were maybe like, I don't know, a dozen or so 
that we saw throughout the yep. whole trip. Mm-hmm. So what was your story? Oh, yeah. Kind of. We kind <laughs> oh, of forgot to uh, Japan. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I learned a little bit of Japanese in classes, right? Uh-huh. And I thought I was, like, okay because I was doing better than most of my classmates because yeah. I had experience learning Korean, and they have a little bit of crossover. So I bought a ticket, round-trip ticket, 90 days apart, and the the day that I arrived in Japan, I had an Airbnb booked for like two nights, and that was all I had for the next 90 days. I had no plan. I had a cousin that uh, I didn't know super well. Like, obviously, I knew him, but we were, he was like 10 years older than me, so we weren't super close growing up, who lived in Tokyo at some some place in Tokyo. I didn't even know where in Tokyo. Mm. And I sent him like a message on Facebook before I left. Hey, I'm going to be in Japan in like 48 hours. I'd uh, love to see it while I'm there. Don't have a plan of what I'm doing. But anyway, I land and I get those two days in the Airbnb and I'm just scrambling like yeah. on my phone because I didn't bring a laptop because I wanted to pack light, figuring out what I'm going to do. And I'd heard about this thing called Woof, which uh, yeah. I don't You've heard of it, German. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, basically you go volunteer to work on people's farms and you live with their family and they feed you and give yep. you a place to sleep and, uh, and that sort of thing. And so uh, I did go see my cousin, which was actually really cool. Like I got to know him like way better in like those two days than probably the rest of our life combined. And then I went and spent the next nearly three full months living on farms in Japan, living with these families. And it was the craziest experience. Like, I remember getting off the subway, and the only reason I made it to where I was going was because I had Google Maps. <laughs> this dog, man. Yeah. Really so I used Google Maps to get to their house, and then it was just me and this these Japanese farmers, and they spoke, like, no English. Yeah. Nothing. Like, I remember the only English word that I heard them say was, orai, which is all right in a Japanese <laughs> accent. And so... <laughs> They just kept saying orai, orai, and I was like, I don't know what this is. I was like, so I kept asking, what does orai mean in, like, what does that mean? And they're like, it's English. Mm. Just to give you an idea of how little English they spoke. So I was just out there working on farms, living with these families, just What did the terrain look like out there? Uh, So that place, the first place I went to was near Mount Fuji, and um, really humid, um... There's like Mount Fuji obviously is like you could see it from their place and so that's this awesome gorgeous beautiful mountain but other than that it's pretty flat in that area and then humid and wet and lots of uh, little farms all over the place. What was like the time frame like uh, the months that you were out there? Uh, I think it was June to August. So you were like so it was the peak. heat of Japan. Oh, it was so hot. I was I would sweat through everything in like the first 20 minutes i remember i would take an extra shirt with me when we'd go work in the field and i'd dunk it in the water and i just put it on my head and i that was what kept me from overheating and i just dunk it in the water like once an hour once it started to dry out it's just really cool hot down. yeah it reminds me of the east coast of the u.s yeah so like living in so new york because you you went out to new york in the summer right like to visit uh, i think yeah, you and Jesse. It was actually right after I got back from the Japan trip. Oh, wow. It was like two oh, weeks oh, yeah, after. Yeah, yeah. So it was like August. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was really hot. But 
it's the humidity that gets me because like mm-hmm. it's dry in Utah. We yeah, don't got a lot oh. of humidity here. And even like California, it's not humidity like it is in New York or in Florida or something like that. It's crazy. Yeah. That was cool that you got to see the founder's house. It was, yeah. You got to come to the founder's house in Newark. Got and to meet Gerard. See founders, meet Gerard. Mm-hmm. And see where you guys lived. You even still have a founder's time. shirt, too. I do. I, I like to wear it to the gym. That's fire. Nice. I don't think I have any anymore. It's a, it's a small one, which is why I wear what it to the gym. What color is it? I have it's one, black. too. Oh, okay. The yeah. OG founders tees are white. And so it's like, if you have yeah. one of those ones. I have like... one of those in a Ziploc bag, like airtight Ziploc oh, wow. bag in a garage over there. Because nice. I'm like, this is an OG. Yeah. This is dope. <laughs> I know. Yeah, but, you got to hold on to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, and then Guatemala was a whole, how long were you in Guatemala for? That was three months too. Same thing with the 90-day visa. Uh-huh. Um, basically just maxed out the 90 days. You can pay to extend it, but... Then you got to go to the capital, and you got to be able to figure out everything in Spanish with all the forms and stuff. And so, so this is like the second time that you've done. Well, if you consider your mission, that was like one time, but that's two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next one was Japan for three months, and then you did Guatemala for three months. Most recent, yeah. So, like, what's what are the things that you like? Do you feel like you like learn th- things, uh, or you get a shift in perspective whenever you do one of these things? Oh, absolutely. Like what? Um, what would, it, what would you nail it down to? Like, your most ris- recent shift in perspective, I guess. Or was there one that you learned from Japan and one that you learned from Guatemala? I would, yeah, I would actually say it's different yeah. for each one, yeah. and it can correspond to the culture, but it also just might be the time of life. Yeah. Um, so like Korea was much longer, so right. I learned a whole lot of things, like changed my life forever. For one thing, I learned that I like languages i didn't Mm -hmm. really know that before because i had kind of a negative experience with school surprise right Right. pretty much everybody hates school yeah um so korea i learned like tons for one thing i learned that i am like an intelligent person that i can like work really hard on something that i care about and also that i'm good with people Mm -hmm. i mean like i thought that but until you prove it to yourself it's never totally solid yeah and in japan i I walked away from that experience feeling like I can take on any difficult thing and I may not do it like smoothly, but I'll get through it and yeah. I will gain from it. Like right. it doesn't matter how painful it is. There will be growth that offsets the pain in some way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was Japan and Guatemala was interesting because, um, I had just finished like a really gnarly and unpleasant experience, uh, with a job that I had. Yeah. Plus COVID, which is like the combo of the bad job plus COVID. It was just a rough time of life. And so Guatemala was like a release from like all responsibility. Yeah, yeah. I, I literally turned my back on my home country <laughs> and just dipped down to some, you know, Central American country and yeah. just ran around on buses for three months. Um, and so I feel like what I learned there, there was a lot of things. Um, but one of the biggest things that I really stood out to me with Guatemala is sometimes you do need to like do a full hard reset so that you can start like rebuilding your environment, which Mm. will then lead to habits that you form and that sort of thing. That is really true. And that's what I needed at the time. Like life was rough 
and I needed to reset and I need to go do something that I loved. You know, yeah. I fall back on the things that make life good yeah. instead of trying to slog through yeah. something super painful. <clears throat> yeah, you bring up a good point because it's like, I feel like I did that hard re- reset when I like uh, moved out to Jersey, but even more so when I like moved out West here. Because it's like you, if you're like trying to make a big change in your life, in your like current environment, whether that be your hometown or wherever, wherever it is, sometimes it's really challenging to do that because your environment stays the same, even though you're trying to change. And so like uh, all of these like stimulus in your environment are trying to steal, like steal your energy and all these, all these things. And like, sometimes it's really hard to like say no to people. But like when you physically leave and go to a different country for a few months, it's like everyone else just accepts that you're not there and then their life moves on without that. And then when you come back, it's like they're used to you being gone. And so they're not hitting you up as as much, you know. So it's like from that point, you can just kind of like build a new foundation really easily without having your old environment be like stressing you out, you know. Oh, yeah, definitely. I felt like when I first went to Korea, the ability to reset was incredible because I finished high school, I did a year of college, and I was like, I don't really like who I'm turning into right now. Like, I don't hate it, but I'm not in love with it. Yeah. And that's not a way I want to live the rest of my life. And then I went to Korea, and there's a whole bunch of, like, stuff that goes on when you're, like, a missionary versus someone traveling. But the main thing was, like, I was able to choose what I wanted my reputation to be and choose like who I wanted to be and just live that way. And I didn't feel held back by anybody's opinions of me because they didn't know me. There was not a single person that I saw for two years who knew me before. When did I go into the May 15th of 2012? Nobody knew me before that. And they didn't know your family. Yeah. Because it's like, even if people don't know you, it's like, oh, I grew up with your dad, you know, and then they still have an impression about you because they know your dad or something, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. My dad's a good guy. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not ashamed to be known right. as yeah, my, yeah. my sure. father's son, but I also want to be myself. Yeah. And it's so important to, like, get to that realization of not caring what other people think about you because, like, that was one of the biggest things that helped change my perspective of myself, my self-love moving to a different place where mm-hmm. I could I could walk around New York City wearing pink tights and a tutu and I'll still look more normal than the bitch with her titties out in Times Square. <laughs> I do remember when we, you know? when we went to visit you in New York there was a lady walking down in uh, just body paint on the yeah on the Brooklyn Bridge and I was like well, that's something you don't see in Utah every day. Yeah. Like uh-huh. that's that's new. Yeah, and even like yeah, just getting out of your your local area to be able to like give yourself freedom to craft, you know, this, how you want to be, you know, like we all have this choice to become who we want to become and to get farther away from who we don't want to be to like change and to evolve. And sometimes it's like as simple as do you try turning it off and back on again? You know, like you just need like sometimes the solution is a quick reset. Yeah. And like you'll it'll give you a total change of perspective. Like that quick reset for me changed the way that I look at Mount Timpanogos for the rest of my life. Like my whole life growing up in Utah with this just right here being totally normal 
and not really looking another way. Then I dip for a few years and come back, and then I'm able to see it again through Truman's perspective yeah. for the first time, or mm -hmm. through through someone else who's never been to Utah. Like when I meet people who've never been to Utah that talk about Utah is where I start to see more of like an unbiased perspective yeah. of where it is. And it honestly makes me love it more and like get over my little problems that I may have, yeah. you know, like mm -hmm. the problems of like, imagine if we, imagine if we fucking lived in Ukraine, bro. Are you kidding me right now? Like that Putin is breathing insane. Down our necks. It is yeah. really insane. Even aside, like that's an extreme example, but like it could be so much worse <clears throat> And, like, we have so much abundance in our lives to just, like, be grateful and to, like, make a change. Like, we have the opportunity to make a change. And for me to not take my shot, it's like, I don't want to waste that opportunity that's given to me. I don't yeah. want everything that my whole life has led up to, all the money that my parents invested into training my skills, all the risks that I took to get myself to the point where I am today – if I were to just go get some regular job that pays me six figures a year, that's a huge failure in my, in my opinion. But um, I want to get back on the subject of languages because I think that's kind of like the overall topic mm -hmm. of this episode. And that's something that I kind of want to like um, maximize in this conversation. But what is like your, your future of languages? Uh, like, or I guess your future just in general, like, of what your plans are over the next six months? Yeah, that's a good good question and something that I'm arguing about in my own head all the time. Yeah. Um, I'm always trying to think, do I want to improve the languages I already have or try and pick up another one? Um, so I have, like, a short list of languages that I want to learn. Next <coughs> one. Oh, there's a dog. Let me get her a treat real quick. Go. Come on. You have a short list of languages that you want to Yes, learn? short list of languages I want to learn. Uh, number one on the list right now is Mandarin, Chinese. Oh, nice. Uh, I want to finish that trifecta of the East Asian languages. The Squirtle, Charmander, and uh, Bulbasaur. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess Spanish is Pikachu, right? It's the, it's the one that doesn't fit in. But uh, <laughs> Yeah. It's like still uh, like the star of the show, but it's like doesn't fit into the... Mm-hmm. We're having problems with the dog here. Yeah. So yeah, next next one I'd love to learn is uh Mandarin. Um but actually as far as like the near future of using languages, I was recently on a YouTube channel yeah, where I was that. where I spoke a little bit of Korean. Um they did a good job editing. They made me look a lot better than I probably would in in real life. Yeah. Uh, just because it's hard to have the flow that I talked about earlier at the beginning when you're like in front of a camera, meeting somebody for the first time, and speaking, even the Korean girl, it was like the first time I spoke Korean with her because we always hung out in a group of friends, and so we'd speak English because half mm. the people didn't yeah. know Korean. So it was like a whole bunch of firsts at once making that um, not the most comfortable experience in the world, but it was it was like a cool little growth moment. Yeah. So that was cool. And then uh, I'm hoping to visit Korea again soon. As soon as the quarantine, they got a 10-day quarantine right now. As soon as it's mm -hmm. up, I'm going to go over there again. There's too many awesome people. It's been like three years. Yeah. <clears throat> My cousin Ted, uh, who people listening, he was one of the guys we stayed with in Korea. 
He's. I'm pretty sure he's coming back to the states. No way. But yeah, he's been out there for like a decade. But yeah, like at least at least five dude, years. Yeah, yeah, probably closer to a decade. Like, which is crazy to think about. But he, it was like he's probably been out there for seven, eight years or so. And like, dude, that's that's, that's got to be so hard because like. I mean, you you probably know about this. It's like when you are in any kind of country for that amount of time, like two years, mm -hmm. that's enough to feel like you consider that place home, I feel like. Oh, yeah. Korea is like a – I definitely feel like a homesickness almost. It's like toned down because yeah. my family's here. Yeah. But I definitely feel like a, a bit of homesickness for – I mean, I had some of the most life-changing experiences there. Yeah. Like, I have the streets memorized from walking up and down them all day yeah. long and bothering people and saying, hey, you want to learn about Jesus? Yeah. But, yeah, I still, I, I literally think of it every day. Yeah. And it's like, that would be so hard to, like, come back. Like, if he's been out there for seven years. Like, because when you come out to the States, it's like, especially in the job that he's in where he's teaching English to uh, Korean kids, it's like, that isn't really, like, applicable when you come back. No. Like, and so, I mean, like, if he wants to be an English teacher, but, like, he didn't, pretty sure he didn't, he didn't like, go to school for this. It's, like, because when you do it out there, it's, like, you just have to have a basic understanding of English. You know, if you're a native speaker, like, you uh, can do that, you know. But it's, like, mm -hmm. when he comes back here, he needs more certifications in order to speak or to do it, like, professionally at a school or something. And I don't think that he even wants to do that. So it's, like, you kind of, like, start over. You know, start your life over when you come back here because you gotta get a job, reintegrate with our system and how we do things. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was definitely. I mean, when I first came back, I had an accent after living in Korea for two years. I it wasn't strong, but I remember you give a, like a little speech in church when you come back to like basically you're like, hey, I did this cool thing. Listen yeah. to me speak the language I learned for like thirty seconds, uh. and I remember. <laughs> When I finished the talk, the little speech, uh, people came up to me and they're like, you speak with such interesting intonation. Like, you're a very dynamic speaker. And I was like, I'm just speaking English with a Korean accent is what I'm doing. Just what does tone that sound, down. What does that sound like? Are you able to, like, recreate it? Or don't you know? Like, like It'd be hard. Uh, like, I can say things with Korean pronunciation, but it's like the intonations yeah. that were changed mostly so um i gotta like think about it it's been so long so koreans they say a lot of things where they end like the sound if they're whining or like complaining or kind of messing with you they'll end their their word or their sentence with like oh that that mm. kind of sound oh so i'd be <laughs> like i i would say stuff uh, like yeah. hey close the door <laughs> hey come over here man like there was this weird like a like, wave yeah like you don't do that i mean maybe you do maybe some people do in english yeah like super whiny like a little like four-year-old girl right yeah so you know there was stuff like that and then i remember there was like words that i used wrong like for example in korean when you're driving a car you call the steering wheel a handle but you say it with a korean accent so it's hindered so when I came home and I was telling somebody like something about the steering wheel, I was like, I kept calling it a handle because yeah. to me in my brain, it was an English word that they just Koreanized, but yeah. we don't, we don't call it a handle here, you right. know, uh, right. or like uh, another one is they call cell phones 
handphones, handphone. And so I would be like, there was a while where I would be like, hold on, I'm getting a call on my handphone. <laughs> or, uh, or another one I remember, this one's not even language. When, when you walk across the sidewalk, if somebody stops in the road to let you walk, you give them a little bow to show that you're thankful. Like, yeah. thank you for being nice and letting me walk across the street. And I remember like a year after I'd been home, I was crossing the street and somebody slowed down for me and I'm bowing at this car just out of reflex. It's been a year. I've been yeah. back in the States for a year and I'm just bowing at random cars driving by. Yeah. So like Provo. Yeah. It like sinks in deep, man. Oh my goodness. And also uh, pointing, explain like pointing is like a bad thing in oh, yeah. Korea or Japan. Both. Both. Yeah. Like it's, you... it's impolite to point. Yeah. So if you're going to point, instead of pointing with your pointer finger, you put your hand out like this. Um, so it's just like a flat, a flat palm facing mm-hmm. upward <clears throat> instead of like a pointer finger because the pointer finger it's like is more concerned. Like, yeah. It's like the way like a parent would so point. So let me clarify. It's like, cause even in our culture, it's disrespectful if I like point at you, you know, but are you saying like with everything, like if I'm pointing at that water bottle, I'd do this. Yeah. Or... You pretty much like, I'd never saw anybody point with just their pointer finger. I mean, maybe if they're, like, really mad at a dog or something. Yeah. But it's like, you don't do that to people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, if you're interacting with a human in any way, <laughs> speaking of dogs. <laughs> but if you're interacting with, like, a person in any way, you, you put your palm up and point with, like, your whole hand instead of pointing with your pointer finger. Yeah. Yeah. So explain, like, the birthday and the age thing in Korea, too, because that was really, that was new and interesting to me. Oh, Yeah. So Korea does their ages a little bit differently. On the day you're born, is that dog again? On the day you're born, you are one, so you're age one, mm. and then on the lunar new year of every year, you are a year older. So for example, if you're born like December 31st, the next lunar new year, which is usually like early February, I think, you will be two already, even though you're only a month old. So, for example, I'm 28 in Western age, American age, whatever you want to call it, uh-huh. but I'm 30 in Korea already because uh, my birthday hasn't happened yet this year. Mm. So there's a two-year gap. So once I have my birthday, it'll just be a one-year gap. Mm. It's a little tricky. Yeah. So, um, and then another thing, too, that I'm, like, curious to hear you talk about is, um, like... And I, I'm trying to figure out how to do this briefly, but like, uh, why is there beef between Korea and Japan traditionally? I guess for me to like put it as like stupidly as possible. Yeah, no, there's beef. Uh, um, there's thousands of years of uh-huh. conflict, right? I mean, Japan has. I mean, I don't know all the history, but off the top of my head, I know of at least two times that Japan invaded and controlled Korea, at least for some period of time. Mm. But most of the issues now actually stem from uh, World War II and pre-World War II when Japan was taking over lots of different parts of Asia, right? Like they invaded Korea, they invaded um, parts of China. Um, I know there's other places, but obviously those are the places I'm most familiar with. And so I think it was the late 1800s, like 1890-something, Japan annexed Korea, and what they did was they basically said, hey, we're going to send some people in, and they've got cool technology from the West, 
and we're going to teach you how to use it. And then just over the next 30 years, they took more and more control eventually to the point where it was illegal to speak the Korean language. Uh, you had to speak oh, wow. Japanese. Um, there's the famous issue of the comfort women, which were basically like government forced prostitutes of wow. non-Japanese women um, for the Japanese for, so soldiers. So the Korean women? Yeah, Korean oh, women, Chinese goodness. women, and there are other nations as well. And so those are called the comfort women. And so most of the anger now stems from that period of time where Japan was controlling Korea, where they were, I mean, they were doing all kinds of terrible things. They were doing tests on them, on their bodies, on like, you know, obviously they were raping and, you know, just beating women and children. And of course, you know, they just were massacring people as well. Mm -hmm. And they basically just saw them as like second rate citizens. It's honestly not that different from what the Nazis did to the Jews. Yeah. Um, it doesn't get as much coverage in right. our, in our like yeah, Western world. Um, so it, it's like Korea, it um, needs to forgive Japan is kind of how the current context is like, or not necessarily that they need to forgive them, but it's like, <clears throat> yeah, I'd be careful kind of the, saying that because you're gonna get some hate from yeah. And I'm not, I'm not an expert in this, and I'm just kind of just curious, just kind of probing questions about uh, just like me as someone who'd never been there before. I didn't even know that there was uh, like beef between the mm -hmm. two countries. So also something while we're talking about Korea that is like uh, really fascinating to me is like North Korea. And I'm curious of if you've met any North Koreans before. Oh, yeah. I met uh, quite a few. I mean, by quite a few, I mean like six uh -huh. while I was living in Korea. And two of them actually live here in Provo. Oh, wow. That I met on my mission. Wow. I remember when they, like, I first met them. It was mm -hmm. crazy because I had, I had known a couple North Koreans before that. And this uh, North Korean came to one of our English classes because we teach English for free as just like a service thing in the neighborhoods that we were living. And she like walked in and the moment that I saw her, I knew she was North Korean. Mm. Something about it, it was like subconscious. Yeah. Um, I think it was just like skin tone or something. I don't know what it was, but I knew she was North Korean when she walked in. And now she and her husband, who both escaped North Korea separately, uh, they live over in Provo. So like wow. 15 minutes from here and uh, I think wild. he's he's published his story and been on like TV and stuff. And oh. I actually have he wrote his story of how he escaped Korea. Maybe and, he might want to do the podcast and gave me a copy of it. Oh, um, a few that's years cool. ago. And I was like helping him translate it at one point. So when someone says that they escaped Korea, what is that like? What does that look like from your perspective? Like what they have to go through? That's pretty gnarly. Because um, even just like the risks of like if they get caught the repercussions are just like extreme oh yeah i mean so they have a three i think it's called the three generation rule that if anyone is caught um being guilty of like sedition or treason or anything like that that the generation older than them their generation and the generation younger than them and their family are all sent to these camps so like for example if, like, let's say when your dad was in Korea, let's say he was a Korean, North Korean guy, and he uh -huh. got caught for being disloyal to the state, mm -hmm. his parents would go to the camp. He would go to the camp with his wife and siblings, 
if he has wife and siblings. And then any children that he has will also go to the camp. So three generations of that family are now basically destroyed. Yeah. And a lot of people die in those. Um, and honestly, the details of the camps are pretty hazy. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Sometimes people who escape will say things that don't match what other people have said. So we don't know all the details of what goes on in there, but we know that they're not fun. Yeah. And then is there like a border that they jump? or like? Yeah. So it's not that they jump, they actually swim it. There's uh-huh. a Yalu River more on the north side of North Korea that borders uh, China. Mm. I don't remember exact. I don't remember the name of the area in China, but it borders North Korea and like this chunk of China. If you look on a map, you can see it. Yeah. And most of the people who escape North Korea go swim across that, or they get like a they hire like a ferry, you know, on the black market kind of thing. Because it's probably much more difficult to go from North Korea to South Korea than it is to go North Korea to China. Yeah. What's that um, river called? I want to look it up. Yalu. I was watching a video Y-A-L-U. of a, a guy that was going to North Korea as a tourist, and he I think he flew into Beijing first and then, like, took a train from Beijing to Pyongyang. Is Pyongyang the capital of North Korea? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you see the movie The Interview? No, I actually haven't seen oh, it. Oh, my goodness. Because, yeah, that's uh, probably one of my favorite movies, like, in terms of, like, it's going to make me roll on the floor laughing the whole time. Yeah. How big of a... Oh, wow. That's a massive river. Yeah, it's... Uh, it looks like the size big. of the Hudson River, kind of. Yeah, it's not something that you can just, like, jump over. You, uh-huh. It's like a... And do they have, like, guards, like, experience. watching, like, to, sh- like, shoot them down if they start swimming? Yeah, and they got they got guards. They've got spotlights and stuff and... and uh, Holy crap. And the sad thing is the majority of people who get across are, especially women, are, like instantly put into some sort of slavery so like most of the women end up becoming prostitutes or in china yeah or they get sold to some farmer to be his wife or um because they don't have it they have nothing they have nothing right? and also think of their mindset like that they've been raised on their whole life of what they believe about themselves especially the women you know like we uh, if people think that there's misogyny in the united states yeah. Try North Korea. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, where you're you're basically I mean, you're you're a factory worker and a mother and also you have to serve time in the military if you're a woman in North Korea and you really don't have any like options. Mm-hmm. Like there is no flexibility of like what you're going to do. It's like were you born into a family who is part of the party or were you not and that's what determines your life unless you find a way to escape and there are more and more people escaping um now than like any other time in history at least last that i heard and the interesting thing is the number one reason that people like get the inspiration to try and leave comes from k-pop and korean dramas Mm. because they see those and they're like Mm. even if they're fake, it's still better than anything we can fake. Yeah. Like, they're fake. Even if, like, they watch the K-dramas and they're like, those people live in such an insane way that, like, even... We, we couldn't even pretend to live that way here. So they must be doing better than us. And so that inspires a lot of people to leave, which is, like, crazy that you'd think that, like, pop culture is literally, <clears throat> like, the vanguard of the revolution in North Korea, right? Yeah. Yeah. You must have, like, such a... If you're an escapee 
and you get to a place like Provo, like you, you must be like so grateful. Like and like every minor inconvenience going forth the rest of your life is probably like just so nothing, minor. You know? Yeah, like even big uh, inconveniences. I feel like you just have a better perspective on like what is actually important and like what's worth getting upset about because like all of your freedom was, used to be gone and now you do have freedom. Mm-hmm. Like something yeah. that I did like about being in Korea and Japan was like how safe the culture was. Oh yeah. Like in Japan, like you walk down the street and no one's bikes are chained up. Everyone's bikes are just out because there's not a lot of crime going on. And yeah, it was it's crazy. Like super like Seoul felt like a very clean New York City in a way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like it was especially like the subway system and everything like it felt like it was New York but like 100 years in the future. Oh, Korea feels like the future. Like you land you land into one of the nicest airports in the world. Oh yeah. And it has a subway stop inside the airport. Like you don't even have like I think you if you want to, you can just not even go outside and go straight from the airport into the subway station. And yeah. then you get into the city, and the subways are insanely clean. They're extremely safe because you can't – they have all kinds of safety precautions where you can't ever fall on the rails. So they never have issues with people, like, falling on the rails or anything like that. And then, you like, you get off the subway, and it's pretty clean, and, like, people are moving around and things are getting done. But – then they've got this really nice bus system that can get you anywhere. And things are pretty cheap generally, too. Like, you can get from this, the airport, which is outside of Seoul, to the other end of Seoul, which I think is, like, a four-hour train ride. And that whole, like, four hours on the train, at least as of a few years ago, would cost you, like, less than $12. It's, like, four-hour trip. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. I wish Whereas we had in more, New York, more you know, of that uh, in the u.s like mm-hmm. we have we have subway systems and maybe the hyperloop yeah like that would be sick you yeah know? like once it is done and stuff like because in 2065 yeah it's yeah. taken forever i know like or like the bart system in uh the bay area but like they're not like that good of like japan and korea yeah and and it does help that like seoul basically korea has like one mega city and they have, they have other cities, but I think it's something like 70% of the entire population lives in the greater Seoul area oh, of wow. the whole country. So it's like, mm. if you think about it, imagine if New York State was a, a country. Mm-hmm. It'd be a lot easier. Everyone's to like, in Manhattan. Yeah, to make New York City, like all of it, all the boroughs, whatever, really nice and organized. It'd be way easier if that was the entire country. And so... You know, we definitely could do better as a country, no doubt. And Korea's done amazing things. But that's also because they have some advantages that we don't. One of those is a very compact population in a small area. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One of my favorite days in Seoul was when we met up with June. Oh, yeah. um, June was maybe, yeah, maybe tell us about June a little bit. Yeah, he was just a kid that uh, was... He lived in one of the areas I lived in uh-huh. when I was in Korea. And so um, he was like 14 or 15. He was in middle school mm-hmm. when I was there and when I was like 19. Yeah. And so we spent a lot of time with the teenagers as part of like being a missionary, just kind of helping them grow up and being almost like an older brother mm-hmm. kind of thing. And he was just one of those kids that 
you know, he was always fun. I mean, you guys saw he was full of yeah. energy. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, so we just hit it off. And then when I went back to Korea in 2017, uh, I hit him up, and it was really fun. We had a good time hanging out. And so when we went back all together, he was yeah. one of the first people I thought of. He's a cool kid. He's He actually is really good with languages as well. He mm. speaks Chinese. I think it's Mandarin. Obviously Korean. And then his English is great. Yeah, yeah. his English was really good. Mm-hmm. Like, he... Uh, he would be able to, like, live in the United States, no problem. And, uh, like, and I think he has. I think he said he lived in California for a little bit. Yeah. But it was so cool because, like, yeah, he was, like, my same age. So we were able to see, you know, what what are the kids my age up to in Korea? And also, June is, like, a dance student or was mm-hmm. studying dance at the time and is, like, really – his, like, fashion was really cool and so I was, we were filming and vlogging, like we'll have footage that comes out about all this, but like, we're just hanging out with June along the Han river, like eating like ramen at the store. And then what's the, is like a gas station type of store. Yeah. And then we find ourselves going down to this like nightclub. Yeah. An underground hip hop club, underground yeah. hip hop club full of like local students mm-hmm. that was in like a uh, Gangnam area. Right. Yeah, Gangnam. 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 <laughs> it was in that area, and that was so freaking crazy, like, kicking it with all of these local college students mm-hmm. that are phenomenal dancers. Like, they were just showing up. Oh, my goodness, Millie. Come on, Millie. Come on, get out of here, girl. Yeah, they were all super good dancers. And, it, like, they were, like, showing off for the camera, it felt like, because they were killing it, and my, my footage of them going crazy... It's so like, good. So, like, I can't wait for it to drop. But that, and then afterwards, <laughs> uh, June was living in, like, a co-working space for crypto. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like a He's really co-working. into the NFT world right now. And yeah, this, I see him post about it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Going to, like, conventions and stuff. Mm-hmm. And we got to, yeah, we went and stayed at that, uh, what do you call that building that where you uh, have Nonce. Incubator? Yeah, the, did we incubator. sleep there? It was called the yeah, Nonce, we did. the Nonce Incubator. I don't know what Nonce means, but we had breakfast the next morning. I remember we were, like scraping oh, yeah. the bottom of the Nutella jar <laughs> to put on some <laughs> bread and apples. And then we we went out and that area was one of my favorites to just kind of like explore, like to be outside walking around uh Gangnam. Like it also had a very futuristic feel. Because there were a lot of big buildings, and then, um, yeah, that's like the kind of had like, like Broadway and New York vibes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and with that's shops what, and stuff. That's what the song "Kangnam Style." Mm-hmm. It, it's about that area. Mm-hmm. Like that's the, it's it's like the cream of the crop. It's the nicest place. It's yeah. it's mm-hmm. the famous. You know, it's like Hollywood. It's like Wall Street. All, all the yeah, stuff yeah. combined. Broadway all in one place yeah it's uh and it's crazy how different Kangnam is from like if you just go like two hours to the outskirts yeah it's super different yeah I feel like next time going out in that uh direction of the world I want to explore more of the countryside because for sure our original plan was to get one of those JR rail passes that is like unlimited train rides Mm -hmm. throughout all of uh Japan for two weeks. That would have been wild. But you have to order it and then get it in the mail before you leave. <laughs> yeah, so we were like, we'll just bell. stay in Tokyo. It's big L. Because <laughs> there was a lot to still do in Tokyo. Yeah, like, sure. we were never bored. Mm-mm. But we didn't get to see the countryside. 
Yeah, and I had only ever heard of it, and so I didn't know the details. So uh-huh. when uh, it was time to go, I was like, guys, it says it's going to take two weeks to mail to us, <laughs> and it has to come to America, and it was like the day before we hopped on the plane. So Yeah, it was yeah. like the night before. Yeah, so if you're going to get the JR Pass, Plan order it online so that it's shipped to you in the States at your home before you leave and give yourself time to receive it. Like, order it so that it arrives like a whole month before you leave. Yeah. Don't wait for the last second because yeah. that's what you did. One of my absolute favorite parts about, like, the culture that you also put us on to was the music. Like, oh, yeah. I was not expecting to find so much music that I, like, am obsessed with. Yeah. Like, there's some super, super talented Korean and Japanese artists that, like, if it was in English, it would sound like some of my favorite American artists, yeah. you know, like quality wise and even like how they sound. Um, like it doesn't even matter what they're saying. Like most of like the SoundCloud type melodic rappers that I listen to that like drench their vocal chain with delay is like, you can't understand them anyway. Yeah. Like I'm more mm-hmm. so listening for like an overall vibe and like them Koreans are talented, them Japanese music makers. <laughs> Something that I like about music in like even just English music that like the perspective that I have with it is that like it it almost depends where you are where music uh hits, you know? Like for mm-hmm. me it's like I grew up in Pennsylvania in the, like the countryside and so I listen to a lot of country music. But it's like when I'm in New York City, that country music doesn't like doesn't sound good to me even though I grew up with it. And, you know, when you're going down the coast of California, it's like you want to listen to something like Beach House or something, you know, like whatever, surfer music. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that principle applied in Korea as well and Japan. Like hearing a Korean song before going to Korea, I would have been like, I don't really get it, you know, whatever. But like there's something that when you're in that country and it's nothing that anyone verbally tells you, it's kind of something that you kind of pick up on you're like i, it's like I get added this context i get this you know like the the way this uh, this country feels i can yeah. feel it in this music you know mm-hmm. or even having someone like to give you a specific song recommendation yeah like versus me just going to like the top 100 korean charts but having like someone who knows my taste of music but also knows the yeah. variety of what kind of music and you can be like yo check out uh boom check out dean and then you're gonna, you know that if you Dean show Mike dope. and Truman Dean, it's gonna slap. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it did. Like, yeah, okay, July. Fan. Is that what his name? Okay, July. Or And July. Oh, And July by Hayes. Featuring oh, yeah, Dean. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That song. Truman like Hayes. Yeah, she yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was easy on the eyes. <laughs> As a Korean pop star would be with like their priorities yeah. of like the, like, the beauty like that's kind of another topic that is really interesting that yeah. my pers- my perspective of like plastic surgery and stuff like that kind of changed kind of in a more positive way to be honest mm-hmm. because like the way that you explained it to me was that it's just like braces like the yeah. same reason why you would get braces to fix your teeth is why they would get a nose job or mm-hmm. something like that and with that kind of that 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 definitely makes sense especially with understanding societal norms of like you know how, how other women like uh, a korean girl's mother would suggest to get a nose job the same way that an american mother would suggest you get braces mm-hmm. or if you have like ears that stick out get them pinned back a little bit or 
you know, whatever. Or like a guy who takes supplements so his beard comes in a little bit better yeah. or so his, he doesn't lose his hair. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. When I first went to Korea, people had told me, like, oh, they're really obsessed with, like, plastic surgery so everybody looks funny. And then I got there and I was like, nobody looks funny. Uh-uh. Right. People, like, these people are beautiful. Yeah, the point and, isn't to make you look funny. It's to solve one of your cosmetic problems. Yeah. And it was like you said, like, I mean, we all have things that we, that make us feel like insecure or whatever that we want to improve on. Like, I don't know. I don't really see a big difference in plastic surgery from braces or even from like taking supplements so that you can gain muscle more easily. Like, It's the same like underlying principle. Yeah. You're trying to better yourself in some way and make yourself feel better about yourself and like your confidence or just hitting the gym in general. Like. Mm -hmm. Uh, losing weight, gaining weight, gaining muscle, it is all kind of around, I mean, being healthy, but also, I mean, like, it's like physical appearance. It's uh, being healthy, but like bodybuilders, it's like, they're not actually they're not, healthy. Yeah, it's like, oh, they're like lying to themselves so it's being healthy, but it's like, uh-huh. oh, I'm, I'm going for max size here, you know? Yeah. It's <laughs> like when you say that you cleaned your room, but you just shoved everything in the closet. Yeah. Well, that's more like doing steroids, I feel like. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, if you if you over overdo it, you're gonna be hurting yourself. It's more so sure. the diet that bodybuilders use that is unhealthy. Because like working out is healthy, but it's like what they do. Because in order to gain muscle, you need to have a surplus of calories, and so the way that you get to that surplus, you can do it the healthy way, and you know like eat a bunch of like lean beef or whatever vegetables, like vegetables. But the cheaper route, because a lot of bodybuilders or college students like are uh, you know, frat dudes or whatever, or in their early twenties. And it's like, they don't have access to all that. So it's like ramen noodles, uh, fast food, uh, bulk, like everything. 20 raw <laughs> eggs. Super yeah. Dirty bulk. Yeah. yeah. Dirty bulk. And then just put mayo on everything. And <laughs> yeah. And it's just like you, you get to the size, but you don't get healthy at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's like anything else. Like you can overdo it for sure, but I, people would like hate on Korean people for getting plastic surgery. I'm like, I mean, you're the same person who you bleach your teeth. Yeah. You got your, you got braces. Bleach your asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all that, yeah. all that kind of stuff, you know, like you uh-huh. do all kinds of things. And just because it's not like the method that yeah. you are familiar with the norm. Now you're hating on it. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's one of the beautiful things about experiencing a new culture is you realize we have a lot of different methods of attaining the same goals. Yeah. And that's just one that happens to be more popular there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and also, by the way, Utah has a big plastic surgery mm-hmm. market. Yeah. So, like, anybody here who's hating on them, yeah. they're just being disingenuous. You know, For just, sure. They're just pretending like it's some kind of asian thing when it's like look we do it a lot here too so just just chill i mean i i feel like me personally the way that i feel about it is like i i totally understand you know why they would get plastic surgery and don't hold anything against them or anything like that however i i think that people should love themselves for their differences and not try and make everyone look like a stormtrooper you know like society wants everyone to be the same and society wants to like hate you for the things that make you different but why don't we like love each other for what make what makes each other different, you know? Like and that's like a lot of like coming to terms with loving myself. It's like sure, I could choose to dye my beard every time I grow a beard out 
because I don't like the color. Yeah. Or I can just choose to love myself and accept that I'm different. And why would why would I not be different in this way as well? Like, like I'm different in all other aspects of my life. I feel life. like replacing different with uniqueness mm. helps you develop a better perspective on it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's like different. Nobody kind of wants to be different because it means that you're separated from the mass. But like you're everyone's unique, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Even in uh, America's Next Top Model, the they call certain people, they say they have like this high fashion look. <laughs> Which essentially says that you're ugly, but you could still be a model. You're like, yeah. you're, you're ugly enough that you could be a model. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so another thing that I wanted to talk about that was really interesting to me is like. This dog, man. <laughs> Every time a new person comes in, she snaps. She pops off. But a. Um, something that I'm really interested about that we've talked about before is like uh, dreaming in other languages or even oh. like thinking in other languages. Like what was it like when you were at your your deepest moment in your mission where you were the most submerged to where English was out of your mind at the, the most possible, if that makes sense. Yeah, it would be at the very end. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as missionaries, you always have a companion, right? Someone yeah. who's basically with you 24-7, like everywhere except for in the bathroom. Yeah. And when you get along with them, it's awesome because it's like you have a built-in best friend there all the time. When you don't get along, it sucks really bad. I was lucky that pretty much all of the people that I had as companions, um, whether we got along perfectly at the beginning or not, we did pretty well by the end. But my last companion was one of my favorites, and he is a native Korean Mm. I call him Vinny as his English name. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Vinny. Hey, I love you, bro. Vinny. Yeah. But uh, so in we were together for like three months at the very end. And I don't I remember there was a point where some uh, some new Americans came into the same area that we were in. And uh, I was so used to speaking only Korean with Vinny that I just spoke only Korean to them for, like, the first two weeks until, mm. like, they spoke enough English around me that I finally broke down and started speaking English to them, uh-huh. too. And uh, at that time, like, my Korean was... I was in such a good flow that uh, I remember having a conversation with, like, the local church leader, the bishop, when I first got there. And Vinny Is and it I, the same bishop that I met when we met up with him that one time? No, it was a different one, but oh. I do love that guy, too. Yeah. Um, but I called the, I called the bishop and Vinny and I had gotten there like the same day, basically, like it was a couple days apart, but it was about the same time. So the bishop didn't really know either of us. He wasn't familiar with our voices or anything. And I took a phone call from the bishop and we talked for like, probably like two, three, maybe five minutes at the most. And then at the end of the conversation, he was like, Oh, Hey, by the way, Elder Jong, will you pass the phone over to the new American missionary. So he thought that I was the Korean. That's yeah. crazy. Wow. And so then I was like, oh, um, like, I'm, I'm Elder <laughs> Rhodes. Flattered. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm the American. Yeah. And he was like, oh, wow, I really thought that you were a Korean guy. Yeah. So that was like a high point for wow. me being like, wow, I actually, like, faked it for a few minutes. Like, yeah. I felt really good. Um, and... During that time, like, literally every dream, if there was words, was in Korean. 
because they were just dream. interactions with Koreans yeah. and dreams and even to this day I will have mixed language dreams even though I haven't been in I you'll mean, just I, get a random dream that has Korean in it oh yeah and or I'll, the craziest thing this is the craziest thing that happened to me with dreams is I would wake up in the morning and I would remember the dream that I had the night before and in the dream I would have used Korean that I never had studied I'd never used in my mm. regular life and I would remember like this whole sentence with new words, new grammar that I wasn't familiar with. And I would go, like, ask a Korean person, like, hey, is this correct? And they'd be like, yeah, that's perfect. So I would, wow. like, subconsciously in yeah. my dreams have conversations that were better than I could actually speak in real life. Whoa. Wow. That's crazy. Crazy stuff. Like, your brain is insane, right? Yeah. And I've had that uh -huh. happen in – I've literally – I've had dreams in Korean, Japanese, Spanish – German randomly because somebody was teaching me like a couple German phrases and mm. then my brain just was replaying them and French I don't even remember what I said in German and French But it's just like somebody else who spoke those languages said a few sentences to me and they were trying to teach me It's crazy what your brain will do. It'll just replay what's gone on During the day and you wake up in the morning all of a sudden It's just sunken in more than you ever thought it would be like you didn't put any effort in it's just yeah. there yeah. So do you feel like the key to sounding more Korean is in the, like, tones? Korean doesn't have tones like Chinese, uh -huh. but it's it not does as... have tonation. Yeah. So, like, in Chinese, there's, like, rules for, like, written rules for how you pronounce each syllable, basically. Uh, and they have different tones, which is basically, like, there's, like, a high tone, a low tone, a middle tone. There's a tone that goes down and then up. Ooh. Oh, like, yeah, basically. I mean, I, I don't know Chinese really. Yet. Yeah, we got to get one I, of my little, little brothers bit. on here. Yeah, we got to get one of them. But in Korean, it's similar to English in that tonation changes based on the sentence. And so in my opinion, I feel like that makes it harder than Chinese because there's no set rules. Like mm -hmm. if a sentence is short, you can have different tonation if yeah. it's a question or if you're trying to be aggressive or if you're trying to be friendly, yeah. like same it's as like English, English. Yeah. but they're not the same. They're different tones yeah. to express different. Same concept, but different execution. Oh, so you have to remember a whole new set of tones, which remembering a tone is not like remembering a phrase or like a word, you know, like at the how, beginning, how yeah. do you store that in your mind? Different tones. Like how do you organize <laughs> those tones? <laughs> well, the thing is at the beginning, you basically just sound like you're talking through like a trash compactor or something. Like uh -huh. You sound horrendous. Your pronunciation's bad. You sound yeah. weird. But after, over time, you pick up on it naturally. Like so, I don't have to think about it anymore. You just get it down. But at the beginning, it's really tough. Was Korean tougher to get the tone, Japanese, or Spanish? Or like not necessarily the tone, but maybe like the accent, like to be able to speak more like a native speaker i guess like what which one had the most difficult uh learning curve and i guess it's going to be different for different people you know yeah. and like different for you from others because your experience but yeah korean coming from like an english perspective korean's definitely gonna be the hardest pronunciation of the three i mean in the states we're more familiar with what spanish sounds like we uh -huh. just hear it and it's closer to english Japanese is actually not that hard to pronounce properly, but they do have tonation rules that are tricky, and I'll admit I don't get them perfect. Like, I probably get it right like 30% of the time. Yeah. It's good enough that people know what I'm saying, but I don't sound 
perfect, right? Yeah. I mean, my Japanese is conversational, but I'm not, it's not where my Korean is, where I spent two years living there, and then I yeah. studied it for three more in school. Mm-hmm. Japanese, I studied it, I took three classes, and I lived there for three months. Like, yeah. It's like 70,000, maybe 100,000 hours of Korean versus like 3,000 of Japanese. Yeah. So if you're just learning first language from English, Korean pronunciation is definitely harder. Yeah. Writing and reading is much easier, though. That was something I was very surprised by because, like, before we went out there, I knew that I wanted to be able to read signs and stuff. And so you started to teach me. And, like, literally after the first, like, hour-long session, you can kind of get the basics. And, I mean, it. it's still, like... Like, if I were to try and write something right now, I haven't done it in so long that oh, I can years. only remember certain characters. But using, like, different tricks to remember, like, how, like, the, the box is, like, the shape of a muh mouth. Like, or, like, li- little tricks, like, made it so easy to remember. But being able to write uh, Hangul, did I pronounce it right? Yeah, pretty good. It felt cool to be able to, like, understand at least that much about, like, the characters. And it even gives you context to the why they pronounce certain things certain ways oh yeah like because of like um like characters being similar sounds like the the character that's like the squiggly that's like the r and the l sound yeah it's like in between the two it's like in between the two and so Mm -hmm. it's like oh that's that explains why like when a korean learns english why they may mispronounce a r sound as a l or like an l for an r you know like hero it like that's kind of like the Stereotypical. Um, stereotypical yeah. of, like, how... But you kind of can understand where that comes from. Mm-hmm. But, um... Yeah, when I got home from Korea, I remember there was some times when I would just... Not regularly, but every once in a while, I'd mix up my L's and R's. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I'm, like, reverting to some other, like, language background than my own. It's weird how it like kind of it changes the way that you see sounds and you see the world when mm. you learn another language for sure yeah that's cool so um kind of running out of time so i want to just kind of wrap this up um we've spoken before about like uh you starting your own youtube channel and mm-hmm. um i'm curious just to hear like what what some of your plans are with that like um what what people can expect content wise yeah, so there's there's going to be, well, the main one is going to be, I'm actually going to do it with one of my friends who lived in Korea with me, mm-hmm. um, and uh, we're going to mostly talk about stuff that we experienced in Korea, things that we loved, stories of things that happened there. Um, hopefully, we will also be able to like involve some of our Korean friends that have now moved to the States yeah. uh, from when that time when we lived there. Uh, and then there will be a couple videos uh, just my experience in Guatemala. It's not going to be nearly as extensive as what we hope to do with the Korean stuff. But, yeah. uh, like, I have a couple that are pretty much ready to go. Uh, one is going to be we hiked through a cave uh, that had a waterfall inside of it. And so you, like, watch us hike through the cave, and then when you get to the end, there's a little, uh, like, place where you can actually see the water coming down. Sick. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's super cool. And, uh, and then... If you want to go watch me actually speak a little Korean, there's not a ton there. There's probably like a full minute's worth. Uh, but there's a video on the, it's called the Bangtan Blondes YouTube channel. 
and Bangtan is B-A-N-G-T-A-N. So it's spelled like Bangtan, but it's pronounced Bangtan. And it's based off the name for BTS, the K-pop mm. group. Uh, Bangtan is what BT stands for in BTS. It means bulletproof. And what's the S? It's Sonyeondan, and it means band of boys. Or Bangtan Sonyeondan? Like, pretty close. Bangtan Sonyeondan. Oh, Sonyeondan? Yeah, that's pretty good. Bangtan Sonyeondan? Yeah. I'm kind of like exaggerating it. But that's what you have to do when you're first learning, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You overpronounce things. It is it's just part of learning and it's way better to overpronounce than underpronounce. For sure. We can even link that below in the video for people to check out cuz it's really cool to watch you cuz they they also kind of pick your brain, but it's more focused on like speaking Korean. Mm-hmm. Um that we didn't really talk as much about that in this conversation, but uh, on our end, I've got, like I mentioned earlier, all this footage from this trip that I'm going to be dropping. I mean, look, we've been saying this for three years now. Every time you mention the footage in this conversation, me and Ken's are just like, yeah. Just kind of laughing. Cause well, I'll, so I I'll dropped, I dropped part was... one of the Japan. Okay. So you we're can make, watch ten progress. minutes of us in Japan we're together. Progress all here. of us. And the, the funny thing, too, is like... About like one year for every... Uh, or every three years, about one video drops. So. A new episode every three years. <laughs> that funny, like, fake promotional ad that's like, new episode dropping every three years. Every leap year. Yeah. And they'll get better as they go, too. Like, yeah, the first sure. video was probably of our most boring day of the whole trip. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't so, the most exciting... I'm really excited to Dude, see, yeah. you know, what you do with it. And the dance club stuff, like oh, all that footage is where so the video is going to thrive. All out with the Ronin. We like, were filming the whole thing with the stabilizer, the Ronin. I feel like if we if we did another country visit, like today, I mm-hmm. probably would not bring a Ronin. Not worth it. <laughs> that thing was heavy. <laughs> not worth it. You guys, hundred percent not worth it. You guys it. had me carry it the whole time. While we walked around. Yeah, Whenever it wasn't on, I was holding it. Uh, yeah, we, we would take turns. Oh, but man. also, people can follow you on TikTok at Kensington Charles. Yeah. Because when you were in Guatemala, you started to get some clout in the local scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, just, <laughs> just posting some goofy videos. You know, three quarters of the comments are like, oh, pretty white boy. You know, <laughs> that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, even though I had a gnarly, nasty beard at the time. But uh, it, I don't know if nasty is the word I would use. Manly. Maybe. Yeah, manly. At least the mustache. That was a big old beard. That was a classy stash, too, that had the curls on it. Yeah, but, it's uh, nice to be a little more clean-shaven now, though. Yeah. I don't yeah. get my mustache and my ice cream anymore. Right. That's the worst part, to be honest. There is a video of me eating uh, this this ice cream treat, and the name of the flavor is like... I'm. It's one of those language things where like I read it in Spanish, and I was like, I know all these words, but when you combine it together, it sounds like it's cheese-flavored ice cream. Mm. <laughs> and that sounds... Oh. like I just don't want to even think about the flavor of like cheddar cheese <laughs> in an ice cream bar. Oh. So if you want to go watch a goofy video of me making a Spanish mistake, it's on there <laughs> on TikTok. A. All right, well, Kensington, we appreciate you coming on. We'll do more of these in the future, um, but this was a great introduction and everyone definitely check out his page review the podcast for the boys you can now do it on spotify yeah, yeah. so uh yeah if you if you're a real one <laughs> leave a real review yeah on spotify i'm gonna do it right now oh yeah, let's go. go baby we used to have to be like uh if like rate rate it on uh apple, apple podcast yeah it's like but we don't even really which is interesting half of our like viewership is on uh, Apple Podcasts. 
Like, mm. I think more than half. Wow. Yeah, yeah so I reviewed it on there. That's already. another thing, too, that I, I kind of want to just briefly mention is, like, um, the goal with this podcast is to get these good conversations. And some of them we're going to – some of them will be over Zoom. Some of them may be uh, in person like this with no footage. Some may have footage. Some may even be in VR. And I think what we're going to do is just not commit to one specific way. Yeah. But based on who the guest is, it will be a different type of episode. So, like, Kensington and, like, we knew, like, that there, uh, we've kind of been talking about doing this conversation for the last few months. And so we wanted to do it in person. And the podcast that we can get in person, um, there just isn't that, like, cutting cutting each other off thing that you get on Zoom that's I really, that that's really difficult. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, Again, having Zoom or Zencaster, not Zoom, yeah. is still a great way to do a conversation with someone who we can't get in Utah. So we'll still have some episodes that are like that. But um, today was super dope and like uh, definitely in the near future. Well, not, the, not necessarily the near future within a week, but within the next couple months, we'll have a few more podcasts dripping out for everybody to... Uh, give you something something to listen to oh yeah so thanks for joining the conversation and we'll catch you guys on the flip-flop flip, flip.